Hello, curiosity seekers and adventurous thinkers. Welcome to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio, the podcast for the relentlessly curious. This season, our host and Applied Curiosity Lab's chief curiosity seeker, Becky Saltzman, will be sharing the studio with ACL's chief experience producer and favorite sister, Jennifer Felberg. The lens is, and always will be, curiosity. Each week, fun and formal conversations center around one delectable curiosity bite, designed to give your brain the time and ideas to think about thinking, to flex your curiosity muscle, and maybe even revolutionize the way you think. Friday and Saturday, I had two very interesting conversations that diverged into something that informed today's Curiosity Bite, which I'd already been thinking about. One was I'm on the board of this, I'm on the advisory board of an organization, and a couple of people there are in the financial advising business, and one guy in particular is in the estate planning. He's an estate planning lawyer. And I was asking him, what are some of the common misconceptions? And you know, what are some of the things that people talk about when estate planning? And the theme that came out was that people, when they're in estate planning, really don't like to share advanced directives or financial information with their children or their grandchildren, the exact people who are going to inherit this. And he said most people, the vast majority of people, just want to kind of lock down money conversations and all of the conversations about what's going to happen when we get older. And I thought, well, that's weird. I wondered if that was there was some downside to that. He said, there's a lot of downside to that. The next day, I was at a party and... It was a friend of mine who was a Green Beret. He takes all of these ex-Special Force people and CEOs on these crucibles. So I was talking to this one guy who was an ex-Special Force guy. I think he was like either in the Green Beret or the Rangers. And now what he does is trains police officers and military professionals on tactical kinds of things. He has acreage and they do all kinds of, he doesn't do any civilian stuff. And I was asking him about what kinds of things in terms of responsible gun ownership. And then you and I were talking about the incredible percentage of people, not just the number of people, but the percentage of people who will have dementia if they live beyond 65. Not only an increased percentage, but the vast majority of us. And I asked him that. And I said, given the fact that people don't like to talk about the inevitable, and given the fact that you're doing all this tactical stuff, what should a responsible gun owner, how should a responsible gun owner think about the fact that the vast majority of us are going to get dementia? And he said, gun trusts. I mean, he didn't miss a beat. I'd never heard of gun trusts. But he said, people should absolutely create gun trusts. Then I had to go back and look at it. He explained just like an advanced directive or just like a trust for any of you, you put your house in a trust. What happens to your guns under certain circumstances? What types of circumstances are you talking well, about? Well, I found a copy of a gun trust, oh, good. which I will put in the show notes, but you can spell it out just like what kinds of circumstances would your house go to your next of kin or whatever. You can specify or even advanced directives. How do you think about, about advanced directives? I have to tell you, it was not easy to find gun trusts. It's not like something that you read a lot about or a lot of people recommend it. But this led me to the curiosity bite that I was kind of thinking about when I was having these conversations. What should a responsible gun owner do about the possibility of dementia? Or more specifically, if you were a responsible gun owner, how would you think and deal with that 
given the fact that the vast majority of us will probably die with dementia if we live beyond 65. Well, before I can even answer that question, I don't even understand necessarily what a responsible gun owner is. Because you're not a gun owner. <laughs> and That is true. And are you even responsible? I mean, I can be responsible. I don't know if I would be considered. I don't know, because I don't even know what a responsible gun owner is. I was asking several people uh, just preparing for this podcast just a little bit about gun ownership and what they think about. This. Yeah. And boy, is this a hot topic? I could not get I asked somebody that was extremely liberal and against guns. And I've asked NRA NRA members for the Second Amendment and both sides just went off the handle. When this you is say a hot, very, topic, very hot topic. You're not talking about it's a hot topic in that it's discussed a lot. It's no. a very, in, in, it's a incite, it, it incites a lot of emotion. It's tons a very, of emotion. I couldn't even get just a, a non-emotional response. It from was just anyone. so just well, then I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I mean, just really, really upset. So it was hard to gather information because I like to always ask my friends and ask around gathering information for our podcast. And I just couldn't do it. So I did look up at the NRA rules. What do you mean the NRA rules? When you're using or storing a gun, what are some of the rules that the NRA says as a responsible gun owner? Would you call it rules or recommendations? It said rules. Hmm, that's weird. On the website. Huh. You can look it up. All right. We'll put a link to that. NRA gun safety rules. Okay. Yeah. The first one, know your target and what is beyond. So we shouldn't shoot someone <laughs> if if be behind them is a playground full of school children. Never fire in a direction where there are people or any other potential for mishap. Okay. Think first. Shoot second. Know how to use a gun safely. And does it specify what that means or is that broken down into different kinds of... A little bit. Yeah, like what? What does it mean to use a gun safely? Learn how it operates. Know its basic parts. Safely open and close the action and remove the ammunition or gun uh, out of the gun. Remember, guns' mechanical safety device is never foolproof. Nothing can ever replace safe gun handling. Okay. Be sure the gun is safe to operate. Okay, that's obvious. Use the correct ammunition for your gun. <laughs> so don't use, if you think that you want a potato shooter, don't put the little potato pellets in your <laughs> AK-47. Yes. I mean, I wonder how often people actually use the wrong ammunition for the gun. For oh, their I, gun. Bet. I bet it happens all the time. Well, when I went into the gun store that one time to interview a gun store owner on the day after a mass shooting for my Applied Curiosity. Actually, I think it was when I was writing the book, when I was writing Living Curiously, and I had that column mm -hmm. uh, go, that was Go Local PDX, yeah. and I interviewed the gun store owner. It was really interesting, the conversation about ammunition and the com conversation about guns and how cleaning the gun and knowing the gun, because the one thing I took away from that was that each gun is kind of has its own idiosyncrasies. Not like each type of gun, but like each specific gun. And That's a lot of information. Yeah. I mean, you have to then know everything about, if you're following these rules, you have to know everything about your specific gun. 
And the only person to whom you have to prove it is to yourself because right. there are no licensing requirements. So you, if you, if the only rules, it, that's why I asked you if it's rules or regulations. It or requ- says rules. Because a rule is something that you assume someone outside of yourself has some kind of check. Check. I mean, if you're the one determining whether you're following the rules and you are the one judging whether you're following the rules, then you're the one that has to punish yourself if you don't follow That's the rules. That's the best kind of rule. <laughs> I love those <laughs> It's rules. not an ordinance. It's a rule. So <laughs> that's a big difference. Yeah, I would think that that would be a recommendation. <laughs> All love. right. Wear eye and ear protection as appropriate. Mm, that okay. makes sense. But this is my favorite one. Wait, can I ask about the eye and ear protection? No, you may not. <laughs> if you wear glasses or contacts, are they saying that you should have the glasses or, or contacts in when you shoot someone or something? Well, it says you should wear shooting glasses and hearing protection. Oh, so it's to protect yourself, not protect the person or the whatever you're it shooting. It says at. it should be worn by spectators as well, but not the yeah, not the person that you're shooting at, which I don't think you're supposed to be shooting at a person. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying <laughs> I'm saying it's to protect your eyes, not to make your eyes work better. No. It's not about Wear your glasses. Like if you have a driver's license and it says you must only drive with glasses so you can be sure to see, that would be like saying, be sure to drive with protective goggles so if you get in an accident, glass doesn't fly into no, your no. eye. Well, yeah, yeah. You more see like the difference? That. Yeah, yeah, more like that. Okay. They don't care if you can see or not. Okay. They just right. don't want you to have hearing damage or uh, an eye injury. Okay. It's all about the person with the gun, not the person that might be or whatever might be. All right. Now you understand. I see. (laughs) I see. I see. Just for the record, I am not, I I don't own a gun. And because we said it earlier. And, but I'm not anti owning a gun. It's important that I say that because it's not that I'm leaning one way or the other. But this is my favorite one. Never use alcohol over-the-counter drugs or prescription drugs before or while shooting. All right, so if you have a headache and someone breaks into your house, the NRA recommends you don't shoot. Right. It even says handling. Oh, you don't clean. Do not use or handle while you are on any of those things. So if you have diabetes and you're on insulin, you should not handle a gun. Mm -hmm. If you have any kind of high blood pressure, you're on a statin, you should not use a gun. If you have a cold and you are taking an antihistamine, you should not handle a gun. Interesting because a lot of heart, a lot of the medications that are designed for what we would consider physical ailments like heart disease or blood pressure also have off-label uses for what we consider mental diseases like Mm. migraines. What is a migraine? Is that a mental or is that a physical disease? Well, some of the medications for migraines are often often used off-label for things like anxiety or things like depression. If the NRA is suggesting that you should not be on any kind of pharmaceuticals when handling a gun, that is, and that's a rule, then the NRA potentially is advocating that as a rule. That's, mm-hmm. that, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Keep Especially the- when you're thinking about dementia, which we haven't really gotten to yet. That's going to be the most interesting part, I think, of this conversation. It's interesting to hear what the NRA says about what a responsible gun owner is so that we can then look at that separately from the issue of dementia. Right. How many more? Three more. Store guns so they're not accessible to unauthorized persons. Okay, I'm sure that they have some kind of designation as to what determines an authorized person. There are some laws that we'll get into that I found and you and I found about 
how you can pass on your guns or how you can't pass on your guns. So maybe that has something to do with who's authorized and who's not. Yeah. Again, that can be a wide range of of situations. Use additional safety precautions because a lot of times some of those locks and mechanical things can fail. You really should keep in mind that there are more safety precautions that you can use. And is that it? And then cleaning. Make sure you keep up with regular cleaning so that your gun can operate correctly and safely, especially when it's in prolonged storage. Oh, really? Like if you don't use it for a long time? Right, because it can accumulate moisture and dirt. So if it's been stored for a long time, you really need to take it out and clean it properly. Now that we've kind of taken a look at what the NRA suggests as what a responsible gun owner, and we know the topic of this curiosity bite, mm-hmm. I'd like to put a pin in guns for a second and just talk about dementia and Alzheimer's. And I know that this is an area which you know quite a bit about. Yeah, it's my favorite. And, my favorite. and one of my interesting favorites, more from the neuropsychological point of view, it's so interesting. I'm constantly looking at the current research about Alzheimer's and dementia, and it's so different from when I was in grad school when you could only determine whether someone had Alzheimer's disease posthumously. Like you only Mm. now you can look at all kinds of things in the brain it's the final frontier the brain all right i have a question for you between 2000 and 2017 deaths from heart disease have decreased nine percent while deaths from alzheimer's have increased what would you guess 52 percent 145 percent increased holy mackerel i had no idea it was that much guess what percentage of seniors receive regular cognitive assessments during routine health checkups i bet not very much take a guess what percentage uh 30 and these are all from the uh Alzheimer's Association, 16%. But you think about it, according to the Alzheimer's Association, 20 years before diagnosis is when the first symptoms occur. So if you think about diagnosis, the average age of diagnosis is 70 years old, let's just say, or I think it's on the high 60s. I don't have that exactly. So you backtrack. That means that at 47 years old, people already have Alzheimer's. It's just that they're not looking for ways of getting a diagnosis. And there's not really an incentive. I mean, I wouldn't want to know what incentive would I have to know that I have dementia right now? Well, I think about, you know, I have uh, depression and that could be, who knows what what that's from? Or I mean, mental illness and and dementia, it's sort of where where does one end and one begin? I don't want to go to the doctor and find out if I have dementia. That would change my life, change my health insurance change what people will take away from i mean it just there's no incentive whatsoever to find out if i have dementia at 49 years old but at 65 there's a lot because a lot of things will be covered by medicare if you have a formal diagnosis so things there is a disincentive up until the point where you have locked into health insurance if we were locked into health insurance then there might be more of an incentive to find out whether we have the other thing is i think don't you think that a lot of people think all dementia is alzheimer's yeah and also i think think it's just forgetfulness. They think it's all about memory. Yeah, it when isn't. It's, it's not. I mean, it's a, it's a symptom of a lot of the different types of dementia. And because I I don't really think that short-term memory is as associated with long-term memory or other ty- or episodic memory as we think it is and they're probably all in different parts of the brain or mm-hmm. that's what it looks like. Yeah. But I was looking up the World Health Organization and it is Alzheimer's, of course, is the most common form of dementia Mm -hmm. and contributes to about 60 to 70 percent of the cases. But there are other forms of vascular dementia. And I think about several of my friends have had their husbands in the late 50s start exhibiting really weird behaviors. Louis body. You jump right to Louis body. Yeah. Okay. That's very common. 
Lewy body is a type of dimension that is mostly with men, and it affects your judgment. And not your memory. So the no. first symptoms are your judgment. You remember everything. So you don't, it's not, a, if you start forgetting to pick up your groceries or you forget the things, forget this, you might think, oh God, my husband has dementia. But if all of a sudden your husband starts like dating a stripper that's younger than your daughter or spending money on things that they normally wouldn't spend money on, all of a sudden coming up to you and saying, I want divo a divorce. Out of the blue. Out of the blue. All of those things could very well be a sign unless you're a really nasty person <laughs> but but no but, but in, in these cases and i can think of two in particular it was completely out of character with a 25 year 30 year 20 year 15 year marriage mm -hmm. and you think to yourself oh my god is that just like a midlife crisis and yeah, whatever a lot but of people say that i think it's so out of character wasn't louis body what uh robin, robin williams, williams had yeah okay. which is funny because the minute he was diagnosed with Lewy body, then it all changed to that is his illness. But it was always talked about his mental illness, his depression, his alcoholism. All of that could have been signs that he had Lewy body for a very long time. I think we should mention that in preparation for this, we were trying to find some kind of evidence that we didn't spend hours and hours and days and days, but trying to find some kind of evidence of the common way that we think about or science scientists think about, researchers think about the difference between mental illness and dementia. Yeah. And it really was not easy to find. And the things that we did find were not really, it wasn't really worthy of bringing up on this podcast because it's they seem silly. Yeah. When we think about bringing this conversation, the vast majority of us are absolutely unequivocally going to have dementia. People say, oh, I know more people with anxiety and depression because more society is more willing to talk about it. I know more people with dementia because society is more willing to talk about it. Well, that may be true, but that might not be the reason because when you look at the number of people with dementia, it's certainly increased. We think, okay, baby boomers, there's more old people. We're living longer. But That's, you're saying that the percentage. It's the percentage. Yeah. The fact that we're, we're living longer doesn't affect the fact that the percentage of people, right. those are two different stats. So if the vast majority of us, percentage-wise, who live beyond 65 will have dementia, then this, whether you want to consider this- Will be, let's wait, wait, will be diagnosed with dementia, not have dementia. I'm sure that there's plenty more that have dementia at 49 that just ha isn't diagnosed. Oh, that's uh, that's, that's probably true. Yeah. And like a good point because our diagnostic tools are getting e better and better and better. Like right. I said, it used to be posthumously. Now we can diagnose all kinds of things. When you look at the Alzheimer's, the Alzheimer's Association, they're not some anti-Second Amendment organization. They are here to talk about dementia and yeah. Alzheimer's disease. Well, yeah. And you have to look long and hard on their site for any mention of what how people should think about gun ownership vis-a-vis -vis the fact that the vast majority of us are going to have dementia. And yet, I did some research to see why people are not, I mean, people are not talking about it, but really, truly, it is really hard to find information amongst responsible gun owners, people who are pro-gun ownership, pro-responsible gun ownership, allowing this conversation to take place. And I think that this is really putting our heads in the sand about a real problem. And here's something from a representative from Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership. And I'll just kind of read you what they say and how they think that this is a slippery slope, that if we open up and talk about dementia, 
with regard to gun ownership, that this is the slippery slope and the way to start taking guns away from the elderly as the first step in taking guns away from everyone. So this is what they say. This is all about seeking ways to disarm as many people as possible. Focusing on the potential people with dementia shooting others is, quote, bloody shirt-waving tactic that's used to stir emotions to advance support for a particular policy endpoint. I'm not disputing the case that it happens. I know it can happen. My question is, how prevalent is it? Because the data is what should be driving our policies discussion, not fear or fear-mongering. It's bad science. You Alzheimer's really Association ain't thinking about you. Let's just talk about the data. The data about the prevalence of dementia has nothing to do with thinking about taking away guns. The data is the data. So if you're really looking at the data, and then NRA's position, ultimately, while the subject of treatment for dementia patients is a very serious issue that deserves more scientific inquiry, using such a terrible disease as a pretext to preemptively disarm elderly Americans is unacceptable. As we have said many times before, NRA supports any reasonable steps to the America's broken mental health system. But if the debate is going to move toward one more Goldilocks argument suggesting that just getting too old is reason enough to confiscate firearms, then that is a debate we will not hear. Why? We will not bear. Why? I'm. It the, should be a conversation. Absolutely. They won't even listen to that? Well, and if you are a responsible gun owner who is a member of NRA, you might be so sick of people who are anti-guns Pointing, using any using excuse. every excuse in the book to yeah. take away guns that yeah. you're susceptible to or you're suspicious rather of any logical argument that looks at this problem. Yeah. And you think about early stages of dementia, you're going to there are all kinds of things where you're thinking, hmm, when should I take away the car keys? Hmm, when should I take the knobs off the stove? But and that those are hot buttons. I mean, those are hot topics because, I mean, those are very... But it's so, uh, such a slow moving, most of the time, I shouldn't say, most of the time, it's a slow moving problem that you don't know, okay, right now, now's the time to take that away. Usually it's when something bad happens, like you leave the stove on and the kitchen caught fire, so you take the knobs away, or you move them into a place that doesn't have a kitchen. You know, when they get in an accident, that's when you take the car keys away. So when do you take the gun away? And you can't even. That's a law. You can take the other things away willy-nilly, but you cannot take somebody's gun away. All right, so let's touch on the law. By federal law, a person loses the right to buy or own a gun if a judge deems them mentally incompetent to make decisions. Family members, they usually have to go to the probate court for this kind of ruling where they can then be appointed as a guardian and take control of the guns. 48 states explicitly allow a person to transfer a gun to a family member without a background check. In Connecticut and Rhode Island, a lawyer could justify the move based on an interpretation of state law, but prosecution is unlikely. What about the red flag law? In 11 states with the red flag gun law, law enforcement can seek court order to temporarily seize gun from a person who exhibits dangerous behavior. Temporarily. And also dangerous behavior. And a lot of people are suspicious because like, what if someone just accuses you of, of dangerous behavior? What you if, have shifty eyes. Well, no. What if oh. <laughs> family members who want to take control over... I mean, there's plenty of elder abuse. Oh, absolutely. And they want to take control. And so they accuse everything their, their elderly family member of having early stage dementia. And 
I mean, that well, because in five of the red flag states, so California, Washington, Oregon, Maryland, and New Jersey, a family or household member can initiate these gun seizure requests. So it doesn't have to be initiated by law enforcement. Right. And, you know, you can see. You petition the state court. Right. But you could see the unintended consequences because it's not like elder abuse doesn't exist. And for people who equate driving a car, you know, you need a license to drive a car and not to own a gun. I understand the argument from, again, advocate point of view where driving a car isn't a constitutional right. Driving a car isn't a constitutional right. Arguably, depending on how you want to arm wrestle the Second Amendment, owning a gun is in the Constitution as a constitutional right. So it is a little bit different. But there are some things that, um, there's some language that that I hadn't really thought about that is easier if you're, if you do have an elderly person and you don't have, in your family, and you need to start talking to them, and they are gun owners, and you want to talk to them about responsible gun ownership, you might even do this ahead of time. But if you see signs of dementia, or you, which by the way, are not just forgetting your keys, not just memory things, but just kind of new behaviors that are out of character loss for words but that's memory no it, it, it it's like it, 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 there's like that that oh that stumbling yeah kind of thing. that's a an early stage of course we do that ourselves but maybe we have early stage i think so the language is to retire Let's talk about mm-hmm. retiring guns, not taking the guns away, but when we're going to retire our guns. When I bet we're... it's harder on men than it is on women. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, imagine, what would you do? You're you're asleep at night. You know that your husband has had a lifetime of responsible gun ownership. Maybe your husband is even pro-gun control, but they're a responsible gun owner in every sense of the word. And one morning they wake up and they don't recognize you. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen women have with black eyes because their husband woke up in the middle of the night and punched them in the face. And I've it wasn't something it that it was like the first symptom. That was the first sign. It can happen like that. It sometimes is gradual. But like you said before, sometimes maybe you just don't see the clues or the cues, but sometimes it just happens. They wake up and that's the first thing that happened. They, yeah. ne- they never yeah. stumbled. They never. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen and and I was reading all these stories about People that had guns, that were responsible gun owners their whole lives, never raised their voice to their wives or children, very mild-mannered people. And then all of a sudden, they pull up a gun. And there was one story of this grandpa who pulled a gun and put it up to their six-year-old's granddaughter's head. Oh, my God. Another one shot his wife right in the stomach because he didn't recognize her when he woke up in bed. Another one shot his uh son-in-law but it wasn't they didn't have bullets thank god it had something else in it and he was like darn i can't find my bullets he was looking all over for his bullets guess what percentage of homes with people over 65 in the united states own guns or live in a household with someone who owns guns i bet it's a lot 60 percent. oh good 40 to 60 percent i finally got one right right when you think about the percentage this is just a numbers game this isn't about advocating to take guns away no no for people over 65 isn't it the number one way people kill themselves is with a gun yeah firearms yeah yeah absolutely there are a lot of volunteers including the alzheimer's of san diego they send their volunteers out to do assessments of for people they Uh. will not go into the homes of people who own guns or so have what do firearms they do? in the home. They just, th- those services aren't available. What happens then is those conversations aren't had. Mm-hmm. So you've got this, you've got a perfect storm. You've got denial. Mm-hmm. We don't 
want to think about ourselves as losing our faculties. The likelihood that we will is greater than not, increasingly so. The way we assess whether we have this or not is with a faulty instrument, our brains. Our family members who don't see the insidious changes and also don't want to see that their loved ones are not who they used to be. We conflate mental illness with dementia. We don't even really know where one ends and where one begins or if they're the same type of thing. All of that is separate. Those are all separate issues, but they create a perfect storm. Then you have the emotion of gun ownership. But before you even have the emotion of gun ownership, before that even comes into play, we also have the fact thinking about the initial story with the lawyers who work on advanced directives, people don't even want to think about their own advanced directives. So the vast majority of us don't have advanced directives. Those who do don't share it with their children or their grandchildren. This is a perfect storm. Now you add thinking about your conversations, reaching out to your hive of people who are very anti-gun and people who are very pro-gun and everything in between, this hot button of gun ownership, which also is associated with fight or flight. So if you really want to get into the neuroscience of it, all of these things are deeply rooted in fight or flight. Mm -hmm. And it's a perfect storm. But if we don't have a conversation about these facts, these are facts. This isn't a slippery slope to confiscate guns from the elderly and then slowly but surely confiscate guns from anyone who has ever been diagnosed with any kind of mental illness or anyone who's on any kind of prescriptive medication until no one has guns. This isn't that. This is about having a conversation about creating a gun trust, putting advanced directives in, having conversations about advanced directives first with yourself be realistic with yourself and then realistic with your loved ones. Because if not, it will lead to the sort of fact. Since the brain changes occur 20 years before symptoms of dementia occur, Jennifer, did you, re- did you remember about. that? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Peggy. If we don't put a plan in place for if and when we get dementia, today's problems with guns will look 98% more silly than they do now. Thanks for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Before you take off, I have a few more things to let you know about. One, you can find show notes for every episode of ACLR and links to all resources mentioned at applycuriositylab.com forward slash blog. It's there that we'll wait to read your answers to each week's Curiosity Bite. Two, in order to avoid missing curiosity-bitten conversations, Subscribe to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and all the other spots that podcasts hang out and wait to be discovered. Toss up a review, especially if you have nice things to say. Finally, for all things Applied Curiosity, including information on workshops and your free membership to the Tribe of the Curious, go to AppliedCuriosityLab.com. In the meantime, elevate curiosity.